When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chills. Here we are again. It's me. I've been joined by Andy Saunders. Hello. How are you, Andy? Good, man. We've got loads to talk about loads. tonight. It's going to be a big show. We are not the important people here tonight. We are not. Well, I hate to say that. I know in your mind you are usually the most important person here, but you really aren't tonight. We've got, we've got two wonderful guests tonight. We've got from the Paul Canneville Foundation, we have Gary Trousdale. Um, hello. How are you, Gary? I'm very well, thank Good. you, Gary. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad tonight at all. Wearing a splendid retro shirt, I noticed. It, it is. Know. We will be taking a photo of you in that for later to advertise this podcast. Cause not, 1974 away shirt. There you go. Is it a real one? It, it's not a real one, no. It's a Toffs. But just it lie. Was, just lie. Well, listen, this was, it was, of course, the year that Osgood came back to us from Southampton, so that's why this is a special shirt. It's a great me. shirt. And then, of course, we've got, I mean, I suppose the clue is what we, what we just said was from the Paul Canneville Foundation. Our final guest is the one and only Mr. Paul Canneville. That's a good evening. Um, Again, because we've had you here before, haven't we, Paul? We have. Yeah. We have. Difficult. Um, my colleague, Gary Trosdale, you don't usually speak like that, so I'm not too sure that is you, is I'm it? I'm speaking posh. Okay, that's all right. I just wanted <laughs> Can to know. Angular last, don't worry. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure it's clear. But yes, um, we had a great time last time. Um, enjoyed it thoroughly. We did a live show, didn't we? Did yeah. At the, at the um, Portland Arms, Portland Arms and Grant, great partnership, which was rink. Yeah, yeah. It was I so enjoyed it. it how did you? So how did you guys fun. meet? Um, I nearly I took him up, took him apart at the waist. He was running down the wing, and I was doing a sliding tackle from the side. No, actually, that's complete crap. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, we actually met. We met at the bridge, didn't we? We met at the bridge. We did. And um, I mean, back in the day, I, I, I did actually have the. I was lucky enough to actually get to work with Ozzy for a while, and I also worked with um, with uh, Mr. Hudson. Um, helped him with a with a book launch uh, sometime that he did, and uh, so I met 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 Canis through through Alan actually through Alan Hudson. So that's two great books because Hudson's book was called Working Man's Ballet, wasn't Fantastic it? Which was a book. great book. And your book is Black and Blue, yeah. award-winning Black and Blue. And true. for people that don't know that might have just kind of tuned into this podcast for the first time, you know, um, who is Paul Cannonville? I mean, why, why, what's your significance within Chelsea Football Club? For those that don't know, most people will. For those who don't know, and it's led to believe <laughs> that they say I'm the very first um, black player that started off at Chelsea. But I, don't, I find that very hard still. Because um, I'm sure there was a black player, the keeper. I can't remember his name, but he probably didn't get to play. Was in it the Derek first Richardson? December, yeah. Derek Richardson. Derek. 
So you didn't probably get to break into the first team. No. Uh, um, I did. So that's the accountable state of Paul Cannibal. Um It was nothing, not that I was looking for that. As a young boy, who just wanted to be a professional football, but came, um, was invited um, at Chelsea. And um, to succeed his dream, it was, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. So to sign by the late John Neil, um, he gave me more, more or less gave me my chance at Chelsea and into the first team, to be honest. And, and you had a you, and your career was tragically cut short. I think you were twenty four, and you when your career ended. Yeah, oh, you don't know. It's so upsetting. Um, dislocated the right knee, tore the ligaments, tore the cruciates. It was kind of multiple of um, injuries to that one leg, and it was really difficult to get back from it. Um, at that time, wasn't thinking. I just thought, look, treatment for a whole year, rehabilitation, that's all it needs. But um, I struggle after that, trying to play again, and the mm. knee kept swelling up. So it was one of the hardest decisions to make for any player, I believe that is, is to say he's going to retire mm. from a game. Mm. And from something you love and love hard, it is difficult to accept that. Mm. Um, I think the strain after it kind of took its play. Um, yeah, you had some you had some rough times, oh, didn't man. you, with trust me illness and and drugs and, yep. and and all sorts of stuff, which you've been you know very remarkably and refreshingly and and um, and really honest about, which I, mm. particularly in the book Black and Blue, but um, you, you you often talk about this, and do you talk about it because you want it as a a warning to to other people, or young players, or or is it just cathartic for you to talk about it? It's both. I would have said um, for me, um, I wasn't kind of easy for me to talk about um, until I started um, sharing with a counsellor and that was new for me at any stage um, for my upbringing because it was a case of a Caribbean bringing that you didn't share your problems, you kept it to yourself or you kept it at home so for me to now open up to a counsellor explaining, sharing how I felt it helped it took a lot of weight off my shoulders so at the same time, when I'm sharing now and I'm talking to young kids, yes, I'm talking to them because I know the same situations that they are in, we can do something, you can do something about it. So um, I'm glad, it, you know what I mean, that the youngsters are listening. I was kind of surprised because it started off the foundation, the um, Chelsea Foundation, when they asked me to go into schools to talk to the kids and I thought half of these kids, these kids weren't even born when I was playing. How did they know about me? But you obviously know the internet, communications, uh, Wikipedia, Google. I was amazed that all my history was on there because I didn't tell them. But um, yeah, um, it seems to be working. I share that and I share this, this to this very day. So, and I share it with anybody. Don't get me wrong, who needs help. But I think I was in, when that situation was going after football, I was very much in denial um, about what, the depression that was taken over me. I, I thought I could never get depressed, but it was, trust me, it was like a cloud. Um, and I wasn't sharing with nobody at the time. I was just giving it, saying, yep, I'm fine. I'm all right. And I wasn't. But yeah, totally, totally. Um, for those who think that counselling can't work, it doesn't work for them, try it. Because I was like that. I thought counselling can't work for me. 
but it does. Do you think it's it important did. to talk about mental very health and, so. and, and take away the stigma of it? Yeah, of course. Because there is a sort of macho stigma attached to it. Yeah, sure. a lot I mean, of us. I, I, I did a programme last year, uh, a short film, um, where I live, about uh, <clears throat> kids and mental health. Yeah. And I think mental health issues have changed so much over the years. You know, what we, we sometimes would have called strange behaviour or something, mm, yeah. we now know there's issues behind it. But also... I think in this modern day and age, going back to you don't know why these kids look up to you. Well, I think, A, your story is timeless, and B, you're dealing with issues that are, are very current now. That You read that book, the only thing it's really missing is mobile phones. Mm, you know, I mean, that, that's it. it. It's, it's like, you know, a timeless story. So I think the social media effects these days are... A, you get known, but B, also there's, there's huge mental health issues that we, we all need to talk about. And, and I think maybe because this is such an open world we live in and we can find out information so instantly that, yeah, people are going to go, Paul Canneville, oh, interesting. And you don't have to read the back of your book to go, this isn't just a normal, well, then I won another cup and it was brilliant. Yeah. And then we all had a shandy or two back <laughs> yeah. on the bus. He never, then... won a, he never won any cups. <laughs> no, no. Only one. Four members. Four members. Four members. Only one. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll give you a proper cup. Bring it back. That is a real cup, you proper. know. Never mind all the ones with a big ears. Five, four, Man City. They never had a chance. You are right. Um, what Ernie said just there, it, it, it was like a, a macho thing that we wouldn't express. Or be open about it because you'd think, well, hold on, if people know that, they'd think that you was weak. And it wasn't a case of that. Sometimes I felt like that. I think, oh, I can't share that with anybody because they think, oh, Paul Kenner's nah, he's all right. But that was how I was feeling um, until I decided to talk to the counsellor. And that was, I started, you know what, why am I fearing about anything? I've got to be open. And that's the only way it's, I was getting it out of my system um, that I was so able to share quite easily and that meant talking to front of 100 to 200 people that I've never done in my life with ease um, and I enjoy it don't get me wrong it's, it's yeah therapeutic as you said for me as well so mm. definitely you um, we should touch upon some of the dark days that you endured at Chelsea as well because you know clearly you're now much loved figure in the club and, and part of our history and, 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 and very much loved and I think that was evidence when you were you know walked around the pitch with Neil Barnett and I know that was something you were very nervous about but we should touch upon you know some of the some of the things that you went through at the very beginning of your career with a certain part of our support that weren't so accepting of, of your colour and of you and, and, and who you were and that must have been incredibly difficult for you. Um, you know as I said before I, I was so excited to become, well, a professional footballer, a dream that I had from the age of five. Um, signing for Chelsea was a great, it was, it was just tremendous to me. And um, the only thought about it was really just to get in the first team. Um, that happened after four months, um, being called by John Neal against Crystal Palace. I remember it well, Celeste Park. And I'm um, thinking so excited, call your mates, call your cousin, hear what be there, you've got to see. Because you don't even know if you're going to be drawn on, you know what I mean, into the pitch or into, on the pitch at all. So for me, it, I was so, the drilling and that was running through me. I, I just thought, I know what I can do. And I want to get on this pitch. Um, in the 
the change room with the lads. The lad was so supportive. You know, that was great from them. Um, so they give you that confidence as well. That, yeah, you watch the game when the referee starts to whistle and then all becomes, you see, you're taking the atmosphere, you're taking the fans, taking what's going on in the pitch, manager, you're just looking around this. And after that first half, it was nil-nil. The second half started, I think 20 minutes went. I'm thinking now, I'm talking to myself generally. I'm thinking, look, get me on. Get me on. I'm telling you, I can change this game. Just get me on. And obviously, it's the manager's decision, John. And it was a case, it was the time that was going. And you think, God, he ain't going to get me on. He's not going to get me on. And it must have been about 15 minutes at the most. And I'm thinking... Don't make sense. Even if he put me on now, what does he expect me to do? But as you think that, next thing you call cannons go and get warmed up. And you went, what now? <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> but um, yeah, that's when it hit. And um down the line, it was like a tremendous shock. And wasn't aware, didn't expect it. I just didn't think this could happen. What what would happen? And, being that racist shouted at you, I obviously thought it was like um, from the Crystal Palace fans. I really did. And it was only when eventually that I turned because I thought, I'm not going to turn around because I know myself, I'm quickly going to get upset. So I just kind of ignore it, Paul. But it was so deep, it was so close and so hurtful what they were saying. It was just, I had to. And when I did and I saw it was my own fans. I think that was the shocking situation. I just didn't expect that uh, professionalism of the club, I don't care where it was, at Chelsea or anywhere, to expect that and to receive that kind of treatment from what? Don't get me wrong, I've grown up um, from where I lived in Middlesex, South Hall. It was difficult back then. We called it skinheads, National Front. You couldn't walk alone as a black kid um, time of night or time of evening because you would get beaten, you would get chased, and you would get caught. If you got caught, you would get beaten. And it's not just happened with Nash Front, it happened with the police as well. Mm. Just for that, they put you in the cell for a few hours, and it weren't funny, your mum and I think. And yeah, give you, come in there, give you a little rough up, and then send you off. So that was frightening to see, hold on, a stage of 1980s that this was still going on. And for me, as a young kid, 21, 22, I was oh, totally scared. I was. I didn't know what would happen. Um, and this continued, as I said, for three years. Um, home and away games. As we know, how I got accepted was when we played Sheffield Wednesday in that Milk Cup. And um, coming on and, yeah, scoring two, um, which the game ended 4 all after being 3-0 down. But, yeah, I think from that time there, it took a long time. To start to be accepted, it was, yeah, you don't know, trust me, the amount of times when I went home, the thoughts I was thinking, do mm. I continue, do I pull, do I move in, do I give up? And listening to my cousins uh, telling me, poor club, the club is racist, and I'm telling them, no, it's not the club, it's just ignorant people, don't get me wrong, no, no. So I was always fighting that battle with them, mm. as well as fighting, trying to find battles at the ground, and, you know what I mean, at the club as well. And so, and in the it, meantime, you've got to get on with your training and carry on playing. Or how, it, how, are you, how are your teammates around all that's this? That's the thing, I think, because of the teammates, um, and I, what I suppose kind of made support was that the teammates were, some, most of them were from London. So they understood that. 
because they're from the schools. That's how you, when you grow up, you had your Asian friends, your black friends. You, they understood. It was the um, some of the players that were out from the country that were kind of, when I say stupidless, it was kind of didn't understand our culture a little. Oh, why did you do that? And I point this question, I'm thinking, what's he talking about? Is he really real when he says that? And, and there was a couple of them like that. Don't get me wrong. And I'd explain, uh, all right, we can swim. He said, but you lot can't swim because you're too heavy. Huh? I'm a human being, but you ever go to the Caribbean? No. You go to the Caribbean and see how some black people can swim. Yeah? <laughs> and they swim like a shark. You know what I mean? Trying to get that... Fr- oh, you don't know. The so, ignorance, basically. Yeah, really, don't get me wrong. Yeah, um, ignorance with belief, which is the worst that kind. Was, yeah, a couple of players. Uh, so, but then you but, have people like Pat Nevin. Who who, who really did stand up and be counted at that point when some people might have been supported behind the scenes, but they didn't stand up and be counted. Whereas Pat made a very famous television interview when he came out. I think after was it the Palace game yes, and said when he was man of the match and he um, came out and said, I, "I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this." Yes, and that must have felt very you know supportive what? for you. That was behold um, bold, and for Pat, Pat is a person he speaks out, speaks his mind, and I don't think anybody knew or expected that at Chelsea. And at that time, that Pat came, and obviously I was receiving the same treatment once again. And Pat just, yeah, spoke about, hold on, this is a Chelsea player. And that kind of treatment is not acceptable. And I'm like, whoa, you know what I mean? This ain't clue, you ain't allowed to say that to you. But Pat did it, and don't get me wrong, he got a little trouble from the the people from above, um, down at Chelsea, but... Pat was a person, he he outspoke himself. And for me, that was a great support from any individual player. For me, that was, yeah, Um, in itself. So, okay, so I'm going to bring it up to the current day. And um, you you now do things at the club, you work at the club a bit, don't you, on match days. Do you feel it's taken some time to get a sense of belonging back you feel part of Chelsea again now do you feel as though this is your club because what you've been through for most people they'd, they'd walk away and go you know what I don't want anything to do with that place but it doesn't seem to be that way with you well let's put it this way when I decided that this was my club was when I started to support Chelsea those who don't know those who do know I used to support Leeds United. And I can hear you little jeers. Dirty <laughs> Leeds. I can't resist. Dirty, but, just, just dirty, dirty Leeds, Paul. It was a case of... <laughs> can we end this now? I didn't know that. Right. That's been the Chelsea <laughs> podcast. That was Paul Cannaville. So it took its place when we got promoted. That second season I was there and um, we had the last game against um, Leeds United at 4-5-0. Yeah. Coming on, um, coming on at the same time, seven five minutes in the second half, and actually scoring the last goal that, that was tremendous. Um, taking on <laughs> an idol, oh my god, I can't even say it. Eddie, Eddie Eddie Gray Eddie Gray to the wingers. Oh my gosh, when I used to because I used to watch wingers obviously because I decided to take that position on, and Eddie Gray was on the right, I think. And, so I got the ball, retrieved the ball, and I done a step over, and I went past him. But as I went past him, I went into Eddie's ears, and I said, "Sorry, Eddie." <laughs> and I went on towards goal, and I scored. It was like, oh my god! So you imagine uh, here I am. I've just beat Leeds United, my team. I support. I'm in Chelsea. 
you know what, Paul? I think this is a good time now to support Chelsea. <laughs> Excellent. And, and yeah, that's it. It took from them. So from that time there, 82, 81, it was like, you know what? I felt, yeah, it's, it's always my club. And I feel like today. Um, so I'm kind of hurt when to see, see what I've gone through from the start of my career at Chelsea to see it starting to creep back into the football now. And it's not just here at Chelsea. The onus is not on Chelsea. Every club needs to do something. Because um, I'm sorry. Um, it seems like there's a witch hunt when any racism comes up. Chelsea's the start of it. Chelsea wasn't. No, it isn't, mate. Um, and this is what's hurting. Don't get me wrong. We can do something. I know we can. We've got to do a lot more. And that's with the fans itself. This is your club as well. So um, solutions need to be made. Um, FA needs to get uh, stuck in. They don't do too much as far as I'm concerned and that. Um, when you saw the Raheem Sterling thing, and you know, we must make it clear that that's still under investigation and mm. there's still some doubt about that. But when you saw that, did your heart sink? Dif- that was so difficult. He's thinking, oh, come on, man, where did that come from? Where did that come out? At a great game, we're having a great game, we're winning. And then this little incident, I'm thinking, I saw Rian smile and I thought, Mm, calm, but what was said? And then like, oh, there we go again. And I was thinking, no, this can't be for real. And right now, they don't know what exactly said. And this is what's going on. So this is me, how I feel about that. Your football leagues are now connected with BT and Sky. Assist. Let's put some microphones around the ground. We've already got the TVs that can monitor any players, or any, when I say any players, fans. And so when you hear that and you hear the microphone that we can actually hear directly what is being said, then it's done case. And that, get the, lip readers in as well. Well, yeah, yeah. and, 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 and that, that, that was an element of doubt about that. What wasn't an element of a doubt was somebody throwing a banana skin at Patrick Aubameyang. Mm. Now, that's something that happened to you. And, and again, that must have brought back horrible memories. And you know, would you, did you think you would ever see that exactly. in this modern era? You that's what don't. I found shocking. That photo of... Just, I mean, all credit to the person who took the yeah. photo because it was shocking when you just saw it a close-up of that banana yeah. peel on the, on the grass, player behind. Yeah. I mean... Well, it's so powerful. You don't and think wrong. about it. You, you just think, hold on, 30 years ago? Mm. And now this again? That's what you've got to think about. Now, at that time, nothing was done. And I'll be up with my hand. I didn't say nothing at all. I, it was really difficult for me to complain or whinge at the time because I thought if I started doing that, the club would not, well, put me out and say, well, you, you can't stand up to it. Probably not I do. And, and you. you're the subject. You're the person that, at that the centre. You need protection around I as opposed to... some yeah. support. Yeah. I, got, I mean, I've got, a, I've got a confession to make. I mean, we'll come on and we'll talk about the work that we're doing, you know, uh, with our Chelsea Together campaign mm. on the podcast here. But I, I've said on social media that one of the reasons I'm so passionate now and so outspoken about this stuff now and will put myself above the parapet and say this stuff now is because I used to go and watch you play. And I used to watch people throw bananas at you and say terrible things. And you know what, Paul? I did nothing. Mm. I did nothing. I was a kid on the terraces doing nothing. And I feel an, it, you enor- know, an enormous sense of shame about that. What was hard about that as well, and I've met fans, and some genuine fans, and I've met some away fans, right? No, when I say away fans, I've met fans that used to support Chelsea hard back in the day before me. 
But when I came and started to play, to tell me, when you played and you received all that racist abuse is when I left Chelsea. And that was a lot of black people. Mm. And I was like, what, Paul? Nah. And this is like our colleague Leon, his dad, left Chelsea and he went to Tottenham. I ain't got nothing about that kind of story. When you hear like that, boy, that's hard. You must have had a lot of people of, uh, in their 50s come up to you and say, like I just did, I did nothing, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. At oh, time, I didn't participate in the I abuse, but yeah. I did nothing. You but know. I know, don't get me wrong, it was difficult. It was really difficult at that time. The strongness of the National Front would have been frightening yeah. for anybody. Well, and kids, you know, I mean, I, I, I would go along with what Andy's saying, you know, we didn't know what to say because also we're, we're in that age. I mean, that's why I think it's so interesting what's happening now and so frightening because in that age... We were surrounded by racism. You'd go home at night and watch Love Thy Neighbour at 7.30. And you'd use all this, you know, I mean, they can't even run two minutes of 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 that programme because it is just so full of stuff. There you go. So, you know, you've got all of this in the background happening. And yet, you know, us growing up, we're of an age where we're getting into punk music. Punk music is leading us to reggae. We're getting into inclusivity and everything. And our lives are changing. And yet the thing we've really become passionate about from a kid, music happens, I think, when you're a teenager. But when you're a kid, it's football. And actually, there's this whole dichotomy between football and music that, that is a, a, you, you go, hold on, there's a disconnect here. Why aren't my two favourite bloody worlds doing the same thing? Difficulty. Why am I not just, you know, listening to great music, having a nice time, watching my beautiful football team mm. with anybody who's decent enough to play yeah. for us being left to play football? I have uh, to admit, though, sorry, go, and I'll come on that. Those who didn't know, right, I nearly signed. This is another shocking <laughs> confession. Eh? It's getting ugly. I, I didn't. I signed for the National Front. Nah, you're having a fucking laugh. Sorry, that's No, it was imagine, just imagine coming out, and I was saying this a lot, but coming out to the games, and I used to come out to Fulham, the old Fulham Broadway station, then walk towards the ground, and remember it was the one entrance at the main entrance, and whilst you're walking down there for somebody to start giving you a leaflet, a National Front leaflet in your face, and they realise, hold on, you're black. Look up. And this was regular. You're going to understand a player who was frightened to go home just to say, because like, when the games are finished, ooh, I'll have to wait until these fans die down. That's, that shouldn't be thing. We shouldn't have to feel like that. No. And that's what was going on. But Gary, I know you know. You were around in those days, days, Gary. I mean, what was your experience of those days? You're the same age as us. Yeah, I mean, firstly, there were people that were actually fighting back. I mean, there was anti-Nazi, for one thing. Because rock against uh, racism happened. Listen, when the National Front used to do what they used to do, and and our ground was was heavily targeted, I mean, I believe there'd been a march around Thornton Heath area the day of the Selhurst Park game, for instance. So I actually dispute they were all Chelsea fans at Selhurst Park. They 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 were National Front members that followed Chelsea. Because it was like a, it was a thing to do. Yeah. Um, and if they didn't follow Chelsea, they followed maybe West Ham. They followed Millwall. Yeah. We had a big issue in London. Mm. Um, it's why ironic when Chelsea tried to sell you to Millwall. But I'm sure you'll come <laughs> on to that now. <laughs> um, but I think you know societal influences is, is something that uh, is something we need to be really wary of. And again, I guess that's why what you guys are doing and what you're going to talk about now is so so relevant and so important, and, and why we want to work with you so much. But <clears throat> back then, you had the whole Margaret Thatcher. You know, a lot of a uh, lot of a uh, lot of dis- disillusioned young people, working class. A lot of them veered to the right. 
Wow. Felt disenfranchised. Felt disenfranchised. Now we've got Brexit, Theresa May, the Football Lads Alliance. Now, apparently that is just a bunch of guys that are just out there because they want to, you know, they are anti-terrorism. They want to show that they're standing up. Anti-extremism. They're anti-extremism, exactly. But they take Tommy Robinson with them Mm. and they have UKIP turn up and speak. And the whole thing is getting very political. So I think the whole Brexit debate, I'm not one that says that anybody that voted for leave is a racist. Um, I just, I haven't been able to see much more beyond the the xenophobia and the anti-immigrant narrative, which was kind of seemed like the only thing that anyone was driven to make a decision by. Um, So I think it has, to a degree, empowered maybe with dormant racism and it's coming back into football, but it's on buses. You know, we're seeing it, we're seeing it in the street. There's a, a yeah. Polish guy kicked to death in Romford last, yeah. last year. Now, there's been some awful incidents. It, it's happened on trams in Croydon. You know, this has been captured on YouTube. Yeah. So I think it's really important for footballs to step up, but I don't think football should try and own the problem. It's a societal problem. And I think there really are some really, really strong parallels now between that era in the early 80s and where we're sitting now. What would you, either of you, what would you say to a Chelsea fan that says, listen, when I, when I sing the Y word, I'm singing about Spurs. I'm, I'm not a racist. I'm, I, I, that's all I'm singing about. You know, it's, it's a racist word. It's an illegal word. It's a, what would you say to a fan that feels like it's okay to say that? What would, what's the effect it would have on... on do you mind, on do you mind if I step in really... Yeah. If I step in on this yes. one? Because, you know, we got into this debate on our Twitter account from the, the, the Paul Cannibal Foundation Twitter account and we got into a really engaging debate with Tottenham fans about it. Some of them who say they want to... Can I just ask, it, word. it was deemed not an illegal word, wasn't it? By, the, by For Spurs fans. For Spurs yeah. fans, but an illegal That's, word... It's all, all about context. So yeah. don't get... Context. But yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I think when, when it, but when it comes to context, we got a little bit, we got a bit, a little bit sucked in to, to the Y word, yeah. and and what we maybe forgot is the Spurs are on their way to Auschwitz. Yes, yes. And we forgot about the hissing. Yes. And we forgot about the fact that there were many Jewish Chelsea fans having to listen to that, yeah. and that was a lot more extreme than the Y word. Yes. So I think we need to accept now why Tottenham or a certain amount of Tottenham fans said we're going to reclaim it. Mm. Our, our, our argument is now. Chelsea fans are going to stop it, right? Yeah. And we need to ask Arsenal fans and West Ham fans, who, by the way, do it just as much as Chelsea do. Mm. We need to ask them to stop it as well. But then Tottenham, I think, have to stop using it themselves. So basically, get our house in order, but they need to stop it as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, well, we've got to take a, a quick break there. And when we come back, we're going to uh, go on to the subject of football this week. And then we're going to come and, uh, towards the end, we're going to talk about... Chelsea together and the uh, other campaigns that you've been working with. So we'll be back in a minute. The Chelsea is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And here we are back again. Well, we we, were going, since we we ended up the last half talking about Tottenham, um, we played Tottenham in the Cup last week. Um, Did you get to go, Paul? Did I get to go? I didn't get to go. I think I was rather busy, to be honest, and it was too late by the time, but obviously fully the, <laughs> the score. Um, but I understand with that we did play well. So um, it was either getting a result there, but one was not too bad to carry back to the bridge. Um, let's see what we do there. Um, I know we might have a few injuries, but I'm looking forward to it. I think that the boys are up for it. 
And it seems that Sarah wants to win some cups. It doesn't matter what cups they are. Well, he's not won anything he's in his yeah, managerial well, career. He I think just he wants to win a cup. Let's, on let's the see something. But um, how do you feel about you? I mean, you're a goal scorer. Um, how do you feel about our lack of goals at the moment? Do you think? That's and, that's, a... and that Sarri has come out and said that he prefers our. It's better for our system to have Hazard as a false nine than. Yeah. What do you think of the false that. nine thing? Um, Hazard's a winger, and he can produce. He can make. And that's availability for him to make goals for our striker. We haven't got that at the... Pre- we have a striker who's presently maybe confident is not being great um, and it's not been good in front of goal. Do you have sympathy well. for a striker that doesn't have confidence? Don't get me wrong. It's like it puts a lot of pressure on you because you know how to score. It's just not happening. And so you might do things that you don't do and it kind of puts a stress on you as a certain player, overthinking, overdo, run forward, half offside, too too far, a lot of things on the ball, thinking before the balls even reach you and then the balls are stuck. So I can understand what he's going through. Um, But at this time, in this kind of league and a club itself, boy, you need a striker who's going to finish because you won't win games if you don't. Did this start with Robert Fleck? <laughs> I mean, did it start with Robert Fleck or did it start with Chris Sutton? I mean, or did just... it start with David Mitchell? Did it start with David Mitchell? Yeah, do you remember there was one time... Well, I, I was think... hanging out with Mick Harford the other day. What a know. player. Yeah. What a, what a he player. He still wouldn't want to mark him at corners, no. I tell you. I think I remember once, I think Eddie Needswicky clearing the ball and it hit Dave Mitchell on the back of his head <laughs> and bounced back into our goal area, which yeah. was probably one of his brighter moments. That's probably no, his only goal as well, I think it? there's a big difference between Morata and Torres. In a lot of ways, you might say, Spanish number nine, both went through some downtimes but the, I think the difference with Torres he, he always looked like he was still trying to give it his all yeah. and you know and, and a lot of people forget that if he hadn't won that corner in the last minute yeah, yeah. in Munich you know we might not have seen Didier well, Drogba power the ball the, in scored the goal in Barcelona, in Barcelona. The game before, <laughs> well, we, right. we, we were almost home and dry anyway yeah. it was a great crowning moment it, it but sealed we, it yeah. we were holding on right? <laughs> I'm, I'm giving we him all the glory on. he deserves for we were holding goal. on I wasn't out in Barcelona I was behind my sofa yeah. at home as a lot of Chelsea <laughs> fans were around that time um, no I think you know, Murata, I don't like to be down on Chelsea, on Chelsea fans. I mean, again, we see too much of that on social media. Um, but Murata look, has looked like his, his, it's not just his confidence has drained. He's, he's looked like he really doesn't really want to be out on the pitch. What do you think uh, about them not celebrating goals? What do you, what do you think about that, Paul? The, you, you know, he hasn't really celebrated the goals that he has scored. Well, he? I think that's the pressure that he's drawing on himself. Don't get me wrong, the goals. Um, does it make you angry that he doesn't celebrate? It doesn't make me angry. He's trying to put a message. Um, at the moment, he knows that he's not producing. And at the time, when he gets that goal, he wants to get on, get on with it and get that next goal. Um, and as a fan, you've got to look outside. You're looking outside thinking, well, why isn't he excited? Why isn't he... Nah, he's got his play, he's got his face on. He wants to score. He knows that. This whole idea, he came to Chelsea. And the reason why he's come to Chelsea, to score goals for us. He hasn't been doing that. He hasn't producing that. On you, on, would you say sorry? Go on. Um, would you say that was a lot of that was down to him as a striker, or would you say that yet again it's a striker not getting the right kind of service for the kind of player he is? Could be or, everything. It could be he not suited to our style because our style is content with uh, the passes, short passes, and doing that run. As an individual, I thought that all right. I can only go by example when I see the likes of Drogba. Drogba took a little while to settle in. And don't get me wrong, big lad like that, he was like getting knocked like with a feather and dropping on the floor. We soon realised and told him, come on, boy, you're a big lad, don't bother playing with that rubbish. He understood that. When he held that ball now and he was so strong in the air, on the floor, in the box, he was getting the balls. 
So he's got to make that initial run. He's got to show up this, as a striker. How much of it's and in I, your head? How much of it when, you're, when your striker is in your head? When your striker, it's a lot. It's a position. When to run. This, um, uh, the game's been so quick. Don't get me wrong. Um, and the balls, but the way we play, it's the way our football plays. The feet so fast. We movement is so great technically mm. that you've got to understand that. You've got to make that run. And I don't think he does that. And that's where the confidence doesn't. Does he fit with our system? Do you find it frustrating watching Chelsea at the moment with the passing? It finds the... me frustrating when the overpassing. Mm. And it makes me feel, hold on, are we Arsenal? Yeah. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a criticism that a lot of Chelsea fans have leveled at. Jorginho hasn't had an assist. He well, hasn't had an assist. Well, there's a, there's a school of thought, and I'll put this on the table, that's not his job. That actually his job is to be the assist before the assist. Yeah, right? to manoeuvre everyone in you know, the, this, the I won't use the word register because I know that's a kind of like, a, that's a bullshit Italian word. But, but essentially, you know, in the Sarri system, now I don't know this, but I've talked to a lot of people yeah. about it that have watched what Sarri does and watched what Italian players in that position do. It's almost the, to set up the assist, essentially, is to keep... Yeah. The, the problem that, that, that Georgie has is he hasn't been keeping the tempo up and I think that slowing it down and going side to side is probably not aiding his cause if he was moving it quicker and moving it up to William or Pedro or Callum Hudson the way that we'll come on and talk about a minute or one of these players that can create an assist uh, or even to you know to lay it off for Luis to ping it uh, you know his job is not necessarily to score assists and I think the problem we've talked about a lot on this podcast is where are the goals in midfield where are the goals and the assists in midfield there aren't any but are those players I mean Kovacic is the but same there's then, no assists from Kovacic there's no goals from Kovacic but then don't we say like don't, I think he's well I don't think he's been playing too well in that position anyway um, who are we talking about Jorginho Jorginho yeah, yeah. Um, and then the likes of Kanai Kanu Kanai I pronounce his name I want him back in that central Kante. position. Kante. Kante, sorry. I thought Forgive me, Kante. I thought, I thought we Who's yeah. this Kanai? Solomon Kalou's come back. Can I score a goal, please? <laughs> please, can I? No, I want him back in the central uh, mid because he's the one that was breaking down and he can play. He goes mm. forward. And I can't see how... Sorry, I didn't see that and why he's changed him for that position. But mm. I mean, the argument with him is that he's winning the ball higher up the pitch and creating yeah. opportunities higher up the pitch. Mm. I, I mean, does, he have the, does Sarri have the players to, to implement this system? I think... You know, one of the things I think frustrates a lot of us um, uh, Chelsea fans is that, is that we don't, we're not bringing youngsters in and blooding them and giving them the opportunity. I mean, we just, and I'm sorry, moving slightly away from the, from the Jorginho issue again, or the, the style of play, back to the centre forward. You know, where are the strikers from our development squads to sit on the bench when we don't have a striker even fit? When Morata was out the other week and Giroud was out as well, there wasn't a youngster, maybe Billy Gilmore, I don't know. There are kids, you know, surely you can put a kid on the bench. Peter Osgood started on the bench, right? Well, he did, well, but, he, but he also started in an era where you didn't have the global marketplace to choose from where mm. you know where you're up against the level of talent that he was and I'm not knocking Peter Osgood I think he's one of my favourite players ever mm. but he was operating in a very different time where you could bring you through you, I mean you said yourself that a lot of the players you played with came from London yeah. you know we, we, we live in a very different era now I mean people talk about Tammy Abraham you know, Tammy Abraham is up. I mean, I personally don't think Tammy's the answer. I don't think he's good enough. I mean, that's just my... Having watched him a lot, I don't think he's an elite player. And I think that uh, there's a great argument to play the youth. I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi, clearly he's got something. Yeah, the kid's got yeah. something. And you, you, look know, at, you look at him against Tottenham, he had a good game. Oh, yeah, he had a brilliant game against I Tottenham. I mean, what would you guys think about Hudson-Odoi and his situation? I mean, it's, it's a very odd one now because it's like the club have called him out and gone, well, you're saying you're not getting games, but here you are having minutes now. You're getting a chance. Do you think 
He's um, going to go stay his head, or what should he do? It looks like his head's been turned a little bit. I mean, they're, they're, his brother's his agent. They're, they're, you know, it's in the media every single day. Yeah. So, you know, you, and you know the way that works. There's a lot of money they're talking about and there's a lot of money that'll be going to him. So I don't think it is just about game time. I, actually, I think Hudson will stay and I think he's a real star. I think Ruben will stay. Mm. And, you know, Ruben should be the one that's now taking that position. Out of Kovacic, Barkley and Ruben. I think Ruben is probably the great yeah, talent. He came off with that injury the other day. He was in tears. He went down the tunnel. He knows that that... That position is up for him to You've take. You've got to take your opportunities, mm-hmm. haven't you? You know, if they come along... Yeah. I mean, you know, and Callum did his hamstring in the Watford game, didn't he? After 50 minutes, that must have killed him. It was like, oh, I've got Trust an opportunity me. and I've got... When to you get an injury like that, and don't get me wrong, as you said, um, when somebody... Don't get me wrong, you don't want anybody to catch an injury. But if you're given an opportunity because of that, you're going to take that. But then when you get that injury now, you know how difficult and how hard it's going to be for you to get back into that fighting start, stage itself and get a chance again until. But um, with Hudson, a, a genuine player, I love the way he attacks. I love the way he takes on the ball, technically on the feet. Um, got to give this boy more time. And it is hard for him. As a player, I know I want to play. And yeah, I did get back. I got upset many a times when I know... I think I should be involved. I think I should be playing. I'll start in the first 11. And those, that kind of thought pattern, oh, you're upset. Yeah, first thing, well, try. If somebody wants me, I'm going to go. Because <laughs> when you, you're going to be bought, you're going to play. You know that right away. So it is something that needs to be talked about. As you mentioned, the, um, oh God, the German guy, the defender, who do you mean? Who's been Rudiger. 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 That's the word. I think he's giving him an airfield just to show him, you know what I mean, what the situation is. But I think he should stay. Grass isn't always greener, is it? Trust me, I think he should stay. I heard the other day, Sarah said he would be in his first team. Don't get me wrong, giving him time. Can you go and have a word with him, Paul? Just, just have a word in his I've head. never met him. I've never met the guy. Time to meet him. Time to meet him. <laughs> have a chat. Well, I was going to say, Gary, you've been a fan for years and years. Now, the one thing is we have... Andy here, who has a legendary story about mascots and sun, yeah? Well, Gary also has a legendary story about mascot, and I'm going to make no apologies for asking you to tell the story about... Well, I am going to make an apology immediately in case my son, Jeffrey, um, he was born in 1982. Jeffrey Hurst was our manager. Um, so uh, that's that's why he came to... My daughter's called Chelsea. That was just my, an my, easy my one. My daughter's middle name is Zola. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, so I believe he's listening now because he's 37 years old. So he's like, oh, no. He's, there is actually a YouTube clip of him on the pitch at the Hawthorns, which was his second away game running. So he... Um, yeah, he was mascot for a home game back in... Uh, Back in 1988-89, it was uh, home to Portsmouth. Uh, we drew two all. And um, anyway, we paid 150 quid. I remember it well. A yeah, lot yeah. of bloody money. I was a postman. Uh, I think it was almost a whole week's wages. But Chelsea managed to lose the pictures, and that was the big thing. Him with Graham Roberts and Kerry Dixon and you know, Tony doing a number of other players, and, and they lost the pictures. So they just went, oh, yeah, we've lost the pictures. And it was, of course, a time when they were, there was, you know, money still wasn't you know, that, 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 uh, that easy at hand. So the club just went, yeah, we lost the pictures. You know, that's it. And they said, tell you what, you know, if you're kind of upset about it, because it was part of the package, bring him along to the next time game and stand around the back of the shed and we'll send Dixon round and you can have his picture taken. Well, that's not the same. He was on the pitch with the referee. And we're like, well, leave it to me. But two weeks later, we were away at Main Road. Um, so I managed to, managed to get a couple of tickets for me and him. So I rang Manchester City and told them, you know, this is what had happened. Could, could he be mascot on the day? We'll, we'll bring the away kit. It's that old red and white, you know, yeah, yeah, stripes. Yeah. Uh, 
Like, well, 12 tickets turned up through the pit. 12? 12 tickets. All the, bring your family, right? Put us in the, in the Manchester City enclosure, which is a bit hairy, uh, especially when we scored the third goal, Dorigo, the breakaway to go 3-0 up. And... Um, 3-2 final score. Anyway, the story is, and as I told the story to Kerry the other day, my son had gone into the dressing room and I'd stood outside and I did his little, little boots up for him. Cannon's has a drink with him now and he's a big, big lad, right? So <laughs> here in this... But I had to do his boots up, put him in the dressing room and then they, Bobby Campbell shut the door and was giving the, giving the team talk. Well, it was, it was first and second in the table, big game. I think that, you know, even back then it was like 54,000 at Main Road, bang out crowd. And... Um, so anyway, I can hear the, them giving the team talk and suddenly masses of laughter, like all the players, and, but the, the door opens and they come out and Campbell's killing himself laughing, all the players are giggling. You're like, hang on, wait a minute, this is kind of a nervy game you're about to play. Bobby Campbell, you his dad, he went, can we bring him next week? He said, we're waiting at West Brom, we'll take you on the, come on the team coach with us. He said, because he's got to be our mascot. So I, what do you, I said, so anyway, I was like, well, when he came and joined us, I said, well, what did you, what happened? What happened in the dressing room? He went, well, Bobby Campbell said, has anyone got anything to say when he finished giving his talk? So I put my hand up. <laughs> right? I said, what did you say? He said, well, I said to Kerry Dixon, my dad said, you should spend less time putting your bogeys on the pitch and watching for the ball. <laughs> right. And what else did you say? Oh, I told, I told Graham Roberts what you said. He'd last five minutes in Sunday football with that attitude. <laughs> right. Cheers, son. <laughs> so, yeah, he was a mascot for eight games. Really? Um, eight games. including The following week, and so I'll finish on this, guys, but on the following week, it was the Hawthorns. We won that 3-2 as well. Um, so, he was a, a good luck. The final one was at, uh, was at um, Fratton Park. We won that 3-2 as well. Right. And, uh, but anyway, he, um, he went out against West Brom. And Bobby Campbell hadn't managed to find me a seat. So they were chasing around trying to find me a seat. And I didn't see him go out. He went out to warm up with the players before the game. Anyway, as he was coming back off the pitch, a massive, massive roar from the Chelsea fans. Again, I didn't know what had happened. But my brothers, we, we went round. We couldn't get seats. We went round and we, we joined the Chelsea fans in the terrace. And they were going mad. And they were singing one Chelsea mascot as he was coming in. And I went, what happened? And my brother said, he went, oh. And my boy was a little bit sheepish. He went, Dad, you did tell me, you did tell me. I said, what did I tell you? He said, you told me against Manchester City last week that if the fans had a go at me, to stand up to myself and, and like, have a go back. I went, yeah. So apparently, anyway, the West Brom fans were singing, you're just a little W, right. you're just a little W. <laughs> so as he was coming off, he suddenly stopped and he ran up to, the, he ran up to their end and they were singing, you're just a little, you're just, you're just, and there he was right in front of their end and he went... <laughs> That's uh, actually giving him the finger is Give the signal the was the, that you heard there. Sorry, Jeff. Proud dad. <clears throat> Brilliant. So, anyway, what's he doing next Thursday for the, <laughs> for the semi-final against Spurs? Because I think we need Good to get stuff. him back. That's, just, that's, that's a great story. Brilliant story. My son was a mascot twice. That's a story for another day. But yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, I thought that was good going. The that mascot eight... dad's club. Yeah. That's what we oh, need to unbelievable. see. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, mo- moving on quickly through to, to the Newcastle game as well. We, we, that was, it was one of those games. It was, we managed to get there. Two sublime goals in the middle of all that sort of... What do we think about William? Yeah. I mean, like, William's getting... He gets a lot of hate on... And he always on, says, no final product. Well, no, I, well, that's, that's not strictly true. Well, I, mean, geez, I think we could cut that together the amount of times you've said Well, I do, I do say that he, I, I think he has an issue with a final product. I mean, he does tend to get to the, to the box and, and not be able to deliver a killer ball or, or a goal. Um, but, you know, but he does do an awful lot of work on the pitch. I mean, I think yes. you only have to look at his record, two Premier League titles, FA Cup, League Cup, you know, to see what he's done for us. But he still gets a lot of hate off the Chelsea fans. And I think that we, we have moved into this area of 
giving our players a lot of disrespect. And, but and, why, and when he scores a goal like that, it's like... He scores tremendous goals. Are you not going to celebrate it? Is he like, getting stick? You know what? I watch William and I, I love him as a player because his ability for both feet and the finishes he does. But then it's his body language. I see his body language. His body language like, seems like he doesn't want to be here for some reason. I don't know why. But like I see him in his skull, his face is long and like dropped. I don't know what's happening because there has been some situations in the season whether he was going to be here, will stay or go. I think it's come to a time where now we're hearing the talk about Barcelona wanting him yeah. and so forth. I mean, I wouldn't be heartbroken maybe, if he goes. Yeah, I just think done, give him just tremendous. give him some respect. Yeah, you know? he's done tremendous. Right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe his body language that's showing him what the fans are seeing at the moment. So good goal, though. But it? I think he it was a fantastic. Yeah, he goal. pulls those yeah. goals out. Yeah, done yeah. When he gets the chance and the opportunity. Personal, I, I think Hudson Odoi should be in before him now. Well, he would have I played three games in a week well, then, wouldn't yeah. he? But he offers us something different. I think Hudson Odoi is now going to break through. And and if it's if I was going to choose between Pedro or Willian, I'm going to choose Pedro. I agree. I think his work rate is phenomenal yeah. and he will give us goals yeah yeah. yeah. No, it'd be, be interesting to see what happens with the team for Arsenal this weekend because yeah. will Hudson-Odoi step in it's interesting well I think Hudson-Odoi will play against Spurs you know yeah uh, I think he will so I sure. did question whether he wants to save him for that or whatever so yeah. I'd love him to play against Arsenal I, I'd love him to I don't think he'd be phased by that at all do I you really th- don't do you think Hudson-Odoi is actually making William and Pedro play a little bit better. They're suddenly seeing... Has to. They are suddenly seeing, you know, two sublime goals from those guys. And they're going, oh, yeah, there's this kid there. He, he looks quite useful. And, and he's got that wonderful sort of air of... He's not scared of anything. He's, he's not had any major injuries. He's running free, you know. I, I think Pedro's goal was pretty good as well. Oh, special. What a ball from Luis and lovely take and chipped it to get over yeah, the keeper. I mean, great he's class, Pedro. He is class. You know, I think he started off being a sort of slightly marmite figure nervous. for the yeah, Chelsea yeah. fans, but you can't not love his work rate yeah, and what he does. But William does that, don't get me wrong, but as you said, the final ball, finishing... It's such, but I think there's a body language going on there. Maybe he wants to move. And yeah. That's why I think the situation is with William and so forth. The, the other person I'd like to talk about, just briefly, before we get on to love music, hate racism, which we really want to do before we, we wrap up. Um, Antonio Rudiger, you mentioned him earlier. For me, he's becoming a folk hero. And I think Absolutely. he could end up as the captain of this team because he's got all the attributes. He's got that... Presence. He's starting right. to make stub- statements publicly when we haven't done something right. Mm. He's coming out. He's being, you know, Dave is fantastic. I love him, but Dave's a quiet character. Very. And I'm just getting the feeling that the Rudiger is starting to find his feet and starting to go, hold on, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that. And we haven't had anybody like that since JT left. Mm. Is Rudiger actually a much better player than, and much better potential leader than people realize? A leader. Um... No, you start that. I, I think I absolutely agree with you, by the way. I mean, one of the, one of the things we love about Rudy is that um, um, for the, the game against United, when he opened the scoring, uh, was the week after we had the Black and Blue Legends event at, yeah. at, uh, at the bridge. And, um, you know, we had a fantastic panel, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, um, Paul Elliott, Ken Monku, Andy Myers, Eddie Newton, yours truly... 
And, um, and, and they talked about their, their various experiences and talked about the fact that Rudiger had faced racism in, in Italy. And it was one of the reasons he wanted to leave Roma. Um, and then he comes to us, and I think our fans have taken to him in a big way. Um, and that's something we should really celebrate. Uh, as Absolutely, much as, 100%. As much as he's a great player, you know, as, as soon as he, you know, he started to show that kind of finesse, the, the cry of Rudy was, uh, was coming out from the stands. I think he's a future captain as well. I hope so. We had a bit of a dodgy game at the weekend myself, but you know, I mean, let's you're a honest. tough salesman. Well, oh, yeah. mate, listen back to some of the other podcasts, and then he'll deny he we ever have, said any of these things. We've not got a team this weekend. I, I set very high standards for him. I set really high standards for him, and I thought he, he, he made a couple of rickets. But you know, but that's fine. That's okay. You know, I mean, you're in a you're in a centre back position. You're going to find yourself exposed on occasion. Let's, it's, I'm not down on him at all. I think he's brilliant. I am one of those that chants Rudy, Rudy. I think he's I think he's fantastic. So, and I agree with Kerry. I do think I think he's a future captain he should be a future captain because I don't think Dave has got those kind of leadership qualities I think mm. he's a brilliant brilliant player well, when, when he wants to be well, yeah when he wants to be why do we want to burden him with the armband yeah, if he doesn't okay. want it really you know yeah. so so yeah, so Arsenal coming up. I mean, that's what a game that is potentially. You know, I mean, we could go nine, nine points, points clear of them, or, or just narrow three. it to three points. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's a classic six pointer. Um, how do we see that one panning out? They seem as though they're in a bit of a state of flux suddenly, having been told, oh, look at this Arsenal side. Typical Arsenal, isn't it? New Year clicks in and then suddenly they, they start to become that average. I believe with Arsenal at the moment, I think he's still sorting out his players, the guys out there, because, I mean, um, the different phases I'm seeing in with that, don't get me, as you said, that game is always looking forward to it. It's a London derby. But at the same time, I think they were in the same flow of what Chelsea was going through at the time. Um, not producing good, not producing the games and losing to really bad, well, not bad sides, but just losing games where they should have been win, mm. winning. Um, so this Saturday is going to be a tester. Um, I think they lost. Did they? they West lost Ham. Lost to West Ham. So, yeah, they'll want to um, rectify that. And with Chelsea now, don't get me wrong, great win. Don't, Typical win, but we want to, you know, I mean, come first and stand out for that London derby. Let's not, we need that points. Most definitely need those points there. We're fourth, aren't we? Or fifth? Or I think fourth, when you look at fifth. it, you know, we so, are yeah. only one point behind Tottenham. Well, one, yeah, one point going, behind the greatest yeah. Tottenham team in the history of the world, <laughs> yeah. uh, if, you, if you read any media. <laughs> if you believe um, the media and we're absolutely. not playing particularly well. We've mm. played the entire season without a striker. And we really have, haven't we? Yeah, Come yeah, on, we absolutely. have. Um, and, and yet we're in every single tournament still. I think it'll be a cracker. Chelsea, Arsenal-Chelsea normally is. Mm. Um, I must admit that I'll kind of, I think, have one eye on the semi-final second leg, myself personally. Um, I'm not too sure the players will. It's the, it's the League Cup after all. Um, that'd be a really interesting game. I think with Arsenal fans, um, you know, because sometimes our fans get... get, um, get, get, get uh, criticised as being a little bit fickle and we can be um, but I don't think there's many, many many sets of fans less fickle than Arsenal and um, it's looking like the grass isn't that much greener the other side of Wenger for them really yeah. I mean even Czech's given up he, he can't yeah he's can't retired to today play anymore. Yeah. Well, he's, I would he's like to say retirement, yeah. yeah I mean I would like to say you know he was absolutely fantastic for us Peter Czech oh all time great you know all absolutely time great. He's, better he's, than Manetti 
I, I, I saw Different that era. Neil, Neil tweeted that earlier, that he was our greatest goalkeeper. But I think if you look at the trophies and you look at the, what he's won and you look at stepping up in the big games and delivering in the big games, you know, I mean, Munich, I mean, and the amount of clean sheets and, you know, the, it all backs it up that he's the greatest ever. I mean, but Burnett, he, never, he never won on a pub crawl down the King's Road with Chopper and Tommy Baldwin. So, you know. No, but... So no statue for him. He still could. <laughs> and, he, and he still could. So, you know, <laughs> you know, he could get that. What do you out. think? I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm old school. I'm into my 60th year. Peter Osgood was the greatest player ever. I don't want to argue that with anybody. Um, love Gianfranco. I think he's fantastic. But Peter Osgood for me. Peter Benetti, Petr Cech. Definitely not Brotter. Definitely not Peter Brotter. Although, what a character. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed watching Peter Brotter. He was a real character. <laughs> That's when football changed for me, when you saw him doing some of the things he got up to. He was, was just amazing. I just joined in and brought us in. And I said, where is that guy going out from the box? <laughs> and I was thinking, I just signed and I was thinking, there's no way I could play with that geezer. No way. He's a defender. No, no, he's a keeper. Which one is he? No, I remember that so distinctly. Sweeper so, keeper. He was ahead Boy. of his time. Oh, my gosh. You know, man, you would try and buy him straight away, oh. surely. But, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. But, you know, great servant for us. Um, you know, and, and we wish him well. We, we do can. wish him well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, so let's get the predictions. No, we're going to talk about music. Yeah, no, we were. I'm just going to get that football oh, side oh, okay, of it out right, the way. Okay. So, prediction for Chelsea Arsenal? 1 1. 1 1. Paul? Ooh, goals, goals. 2 all. 2 all. Yeah, I think he's got draw written all over it. I'm going 1 1 as well. Right, well, I am going to be the only true Chelsea fan here. I'm going to go 2 0 to Chelsea. Nope. I hope you're right. Oh, I hope you're right as well. I think yeah. we'll, all, we'll all back you. Yeah, yeah well, you know, that, that would be wise. But, um, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. so the Paul Ganneville Foundation, you, you are, are working together with Paul. Um, what's the purpose? What's your what's mission What's it statement? doing? Yeah. What's your mission statement? Yeah. Well, the mission statement, first and foremost, is that, um, you know, Paul Ganneville is a legend. Um, and I'm not just saying that because he's sitting next to me and he's my pal and uh, we've been listening to his stories today. He really is. Um, you know, I was talking the other day in terms of influencers and, um, you know, the, 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 the effect, the societal effect that the legends of old have had um, and pioneers like Paul. Uh, Raheem Sterling's been given a hard time by the media. We know that. Can you imagine what Paul would have gone through if he'd had a machine gun tattooed on his leg? Yeah. So, I mean, I think never before has the, the saying on the shoulders of giants been, been more appropriate than it, than it is when you, when, you, when you look at the pioneers of the game like Paul. So I've been into schools with him. I've seen him give talks. I've seen him step up in front of 200 students and um, a, a large number of young, young, young black boys and, and ask the question football. They don't know the story until he tells it. Um, Chelsea, wow, Chelsea fans, yeah, great. I was the first black player to play with Chelsea, wow. And then he goes through the story. But then he lifts them up and he talks about how, how elated he was when Drogba scored that goal, wearing the same number 11 shirt he used to wear. Good story. And, it, you know, it brings it to a crescendo. He also is great working with young boys. Um, I, think it's, I think it's worth letting you guys know as well, this isn't a common number fact, but he's going to start his FA badges later this month um, with the PFA and with the support of the club, Brilliant. with the support of Chelsea, uh, and with a big, big support from Eddie Newton and Andy Myers, uh, who want to get him involved. So... Our big, big thing with the foundation is to build on 
build up that momentum, give him the support and the infrastructure around him. I used to run the Damalola Taylor Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, you know, very closely in Parliament. I've run a youth violence commission just recently. And, um, and I'm aware around the charity sector. But we've got another partner as well, Gary Stannert, yeah. who helped Rio set up his foundation, the Rio Ferdinand Foundation. He's just been out in the Caribbean with Jason Roberts. So he works with a lot of, uh, of ex-pros helping them. So he's putting the structure in place. Most importantly, what we want to see, though, is we want to see Chelsea appreciate, you know, this guy and the fact that he does love the club. And, you know, it would be argued the club maybe haven't done that much along the way to deserve that love. So, yeah, that's what we'd like to see. We'd like to see him have that status he deserves at the club. How can fans find out more about the Paul Cannaville Foundation's listening to this podcast? Where can they go and find out about that? W- www. <laughs> I'll get that out for you. www.paulcannavillefoundation.com com is it dot com or dot com and you've got a Twitter presence as well. well. Yes, yeah, we have got a Twitter presence presence as well. Um, follow King Canners. Yeah, and um, then all that details. Are yeah, and all the yes. details are at King Canners. Follow follow him first. And 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 what can what can fans do to support you? Can they give you money? Can they? What can they do? Can they? How can they support you? Um, in any way. I'll tell you how they can support us right here and now is they can support us by starting to follow the hashtag Beautiful Resistance. Okay, and what's that? Paul. Beautiful Resistance is um, the campaign for love, music and hate racism. Um, It's a message that we're bringing out and awareness to the, well, music to the youth and those who love music like myself and awareness of racism and not just at the football pitches at the football grounds and all life's society. Um, joining this campaign, I'm so honoured to be in it. I think you mentioned the name. Is, is it? Oh, my God. Paul Ed Sheeran. Paul Samuels yeah. um, from Atlantic. Is it Atlantic? That's right. yeah. Atlantic Music. And uh, me, that's... Oh, God, going there to the... Is it the Warner Music Centre? The place just. And you gave a speak to a, a, I a did talk, gave to, a talk to their staff. To yeah. their staff, yeah. well, much youngsters, um, and didn't know obviously my story. But it was um, for me uh, something that's yeah needed to come out. It needs to be told. Um, we need to share this. This is my people might think this is thirty years too late. Never. Right now, we don't want this to happen in football. This beautiful game, I love this game so much, and I love Chelsea. So, as I said before, it's not the onus on Chelsea. The onus is on every club in the Premier. Yeah, from the Division One to Division Two is what we can do about it. And if you get together as managers, as the chairman, as the FA can get together, we can get solutions. What we can do with this and how we deal with this because it's, it's bringing the game down. Um, here in England, it's bringing the game down. That's all we're getting to start to hear. And that's not nice. The game itself, which is what we come to see, has been brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but it takes one little incident, and that's the main story. Brilliant. That's not what we want to hear. And I'm just sorry. Uh, I'm, yeah, it gets me upset. Well, don't apologise, because I think it's, it's, it's really important stuff. We, we as a podcast as well are going to support uh, Love Music, Hate Racism, and we're also part of a, uh, a coalition of, of fan organisations, other podcasts and organisations, along with the Chelsea Supporters Trust and Chelsea Pride, right. and uh, we are the Shared and a, a bunch of other Chelsea fan organisations, and we've come together under the hashtag, uh, hashtag Chelsea Together, mm. uh, and we're launching 
um, our mission statement formally on uh, this weekend, Friday. Um, and I think, you know, as fans, as all fans, all of us have a responsibility to yes. come together and, and do the right thing. Get our house in order. Don't worry about what yeah, anybody else does. That's right. Get our house in order. Exactly. Um, and then we can be a beacon for, for moving forward for everybody else. But really, really admire what you've done, Paul. I've been a huge admirer of you um, for, for you. many years now. Um, and I, I think, Kerry, you'll join me in, in saying thanks to Paul for coming along. And, yeah, and again, sharing his story with us again. Absolutely. And for you, Gary, as well, for yeah, all the work I, you've well, done. I was, ju- I was just going to say, you know, as usual, we've got to wrap up, unfortunately. I could go on all night yeah. chatting about this, you know, because there's nothing better than talking about serious subjects and then talking about football. Yes. And because they're both serious, let's face it, you know. So, you know, but it has been an absolute pleasure. And I know on behalf of all our listeners and Andy and myself, Gary and Paul, thank you ever so much for coming along tonight. We'll support you with anything you ever need. You just ask. Thank Thanks you. ever so much. Tremendous. And We'll see you all next week. Thanks for having us, guys. Good stuff. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.